Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and you are listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry, the third annual Thanksgiving edition with Benjamin Hobbs, who has been my Thanksgiving guest for this is now the third year. Thank you for joining me on this full of adventure day, Benjamin. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad it's Thanksgiving. Me too. We have uh, we always have a good conversation about poetry on Thanksgiving, and I don't really know why that is, <laughs> but it works. Um, we're we have some things to talk about and some things for you to read, and I just wanted to first say that I am thankful to be back on the air. We had a little hiatus for a while uh, with a lot of infrastructure updates and changes at Vox Poetica and Unbound Content, and we will be putting this show back in the air every week again. Um, So this is kind of like the inaugural Get It All Back Together Again um, episode as well. So thankful to be back, happy to be here, glad to have you with me, Ben. Let's start off with a reading. What do you have for us today? Okay, today I was going to read uh, three poems. One was called Rosamond. The other one was called uh, Kaiser's Embarrassment, a Devil Dactyl. And the third one was going to be called a Hanging Garden Flower. All right, let's get started with the first one. <clears throat> okay. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> got a cat on my, <laughs> my poems here. <laughs> okay, I got one right um, here, so too. First... It seems to be cat day. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love, well, we're all about our cats here, so. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so um, just to pre- preface this one, uh, Caesar's name is actually Kaiser. It's actually pronounced Kaiser in the in the Latin. Kind of found that kind of interesting. And uh, this poem's rhyme scheme works a lot better if you if you call him Kaiser. Uh, mm. So it's like Kaiser salad instead, or it's like Kaiser bread instead of Caesar salad, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Was, very cool. Yeah, I thought I was ordering the Caesar salad. You gave me Kaiser bread. But anyways, <laughs> so this is dedicated to liars, but it's for the Ramones. Flaming the library, Julius Kaisery burned Alexandrian literature, feeling embarrassedly, characteristically, wrote not a word of it down on his tour. And that's it. That's the that's a double dactyl. <laughs> I like start off quick and to the point. So that was great. Now, I want to ask you, and I know I'm not the only one with this question in mind, where you got your inspiration for that? I just, uh, I thought that I'd been, I actually was writing it for Poetry Month because I I had uh, made the insane idea or the insane uh, promise to um, write a different style of poem every day of the month. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one day the style came up. But it was uh, the double dactyl, and I decided I had to write a double dactyl. And um, I just, I get, I guess the idea just came to me to write about the Alexandrian Library because it's still a mystery what exactly mm-hmm. happened with that, you know. And it's amazing to me that we got all this history, we we got all this history, and it's mega important place. And yeah. we still don't really know what the hell happened to it. So right. <laughs> I decided to write those, about it. Like, 
Huh? Yeah, you know, I think that sometimes the, the unanswered questions are more inspirational to us than the ones we have all the answers to, you know? It can be, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I just felt like it was a good, it was a right subject to write about. When a lot of your writing is very, um, well, the ideas are all intense, but the language is also intense. I think they're very language-centric. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you start off sometimes with a word instead of an idea or a, a phrase instead of an idea. Actually, uh, pretty much what I start off with is the, is the idea. It's tough to, it's tough to start off with phrases because then you've got to come up with a bunch of, other, you know, you have... You may have one good phrase, but then you have to come up with a bunch of other good phrases. So I try to start off with an idea. Then I can build phrases around that. But uh, mm-hmm. if I if I do have a phrase, I can start out with that, too. I mean, unfortunately, inspiration is a beast that won't be tamed, you know? You're not kidding. And it's the kind of thing, like you said, sometimes you really do just have to decide, I'm going to write this particular type of thing or this exact thing right now and, you know, not necessarily have uh, the inspiration be the thing that drives you to do it. It's got to be a discipline, more of, a, more of an inspiration. Writing for Poetry Month was definitely an exercise in trying to force inspiration. But I think mm-hmm. luckily it worked because maybe a quarter of my poems were pretty good. And that's, that's pretty good considering you write for, what is it, 20, 28 days, 29 days on leap year, I suppose. So. Or, mm-hmm. Wait right. no, that's that's February. I, I that's poetry February. month is April, so, uh, so thirty days, I guess, or thirty-one days, or however many. <laughs> no matter how many days you're doing, you know, twenty-five percent of your days there is not such a bad way to, not such a bad outcome. And I think a lot of the time, you know, even if the poem itself isn't good, what you have sometimes is editable or takes you off in another direction, and you can sometimes salvage something from something that wasn't that great too. So. There's always oh, something you can do with it. Now, you made an announcement on Facebook recently, and I would like you to talk about that. And it has to do with leaving your job. Oh, yeah, I left my job. Uh, or, well, I am in the process of it. I've handed in my two weeks, and mm-hmm. uh, I've decided to try to dedicate myself to. The pursuit of my dream, and uh, that means that means eschewing that kind of work to to uh, do the work of basically promoting my book and trying to get it, trying to do everything I can to ensure its success. Mm-hmm. So, we, uh, uh, so that this is a hard thing to do for a lot of people, and I admire you a lot for making that decision and doing it. I support it a hundred percent. And I think it's a great, great idea. You're at a great time in your life to be able to do that. And um, since the book, which is what we're going to talk about next, is um, is coming soon, let's 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 focus on that for a minute and talk to us about the books. Uh, the the upcoming book is called Early Harvest, and uh, it's um, <clears throat> it is exactly that kind of idea. It's uh it's the the idea of maybe you've got something, uh maybe you have to harvest it really quickly, 
um, or you have to uh, you have to you have to harvest part of it really quickly and get it out there for people to see, or you know, in this case, it's poems. So, uh, mm-hmm. and that's basically what this book is doing because there's going to be a, another book after it, and that um, that is definitely a much bigger book. But uh, early harvest, I think, is definitely worthy of seeing release. So I've decided to call it that and name it that. In keeping with the title, we are um, we're in a race to the finish of the year to try and get it released in 2013. So it will either be the, fir- the last Unbound content release of 2013 or it will be the first of 2014. So no matter how you slice it, it kind of works. And um, yeah, so the theme is really is really present <laughs> in, all, in the entire production of this book. I think. Oh, <laughs> uh, this you know, I, I'm, it it never was meant to be released at a certain time of year. I would I'd want to avoid that and and try not to be that stringent with it, you know, because like early <laughs> harvest, you know, that suggests I suppose summer or spring or something like that, and. What are we? We're in the we're in the dead of fall right now, and we're getting into we're getting into winter really fast. You know. Yeah, yep, we are now. Um, let's move on to the second poem on your list for us today. <clears throat> okay, so my second poem is called Rosamond, and um, it doesn't need too much of a preface, luckily, but it's uh, it's just my imagining of somebody who. Is so attractive, I suppose, that they never have any problem finding anybody else. And uh, so here it goes. Rosamond, Rosamond of Fancy's Fleet, Rosamond, Bladderack to the Stars, the rest else, rest they may, except the loved, old, soft. I can't conceive the one you love. Yea, unknowing the unattainable, possessing the beauty of a woman whilst carving a man's reputation in words and retaining both of those opposing swells, Rosamond, lady of the white elephants, who could hope to conquest your affections? Which bedroom guest hears not, knows not, lives not, the introduction out, presented the door, reverse obad, you pretend nightingales are hummingbirds as pretext they depart, and out of uh, and out with the old, and in with the new, and off were you with someone else to love. Callous to the pains you and others caused, O oh, Rosamond, weep not the poor child left, containing in him nothing you don't see. Rosamond, continue that mirror glance to better hide your terrors from their eyes. And that's it. All right. That's another really interesting one. Again, I think the language becomes, for me, a very interesting um, avenue for you. And it's one of the, I, I think it's one of the hallmarks of your work. Um, and I, I wonder a little bit about word selection. You know, is that a process? Do you focus on it, or is it just the natural um, way that you write it? Do you find that the words come to you, or do you have to search for them sometimes? Well, I uh, I constantly 
look at the dictionary or mm. look at the online dictionary actually. And I'm constantly, you know, every time I read a book, if I see a word I don't know, I look it up. And I mm-hmm. try to use those words as often as possible in my writing. And usually I'm, I'm, it's not like I just, you know, slot the words into a poem or anything like that haphazardly. I, I use them in practice. Like, well, mm-hmm. while I'm practice writing, I uh, I try to use them as much as possible. And then when I'm used to them, when I feel like I'm comfortable with them, then I put them into a poem or, you know, it, it, sometimes they go into practice poems, actually. I always uh, practice poems because sometimes lightning might strike unexpectedly. But uh, mm-hmm. in a finished poem, by the time it gets to the finished poem, I've used it at least several times to the point where I'm comfortable with it. And it always feels deliberate. Like they're not, they're not, um, they don't feel at all, your words don't feel random in any way. They feel deliberate, but they don't feel like you've labored over them either. Like it doesn't feel like you've gone searching through the dictionary for something obscure. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have that sense to it. Um, I, and you know, but I but I do sometimes get the sense that a certain word might have been a little inspiring, you know, and and maybe not for a whole poem necessarily, but certainly to take you off in a direction or two here and there. Uh, sometimes it does. Sometimes it's just it it just has to do with the feeling I'm capturing, and it just it just so happens that I'm very inspired by Elizabethan English. You know, it's mm. just. It's always amazing to read Shakespeare to me, you know. It, it always awokened in me a deep desire to write. Like every every mm. time I read Shakespeare, even from the beginning when I couldn't understand a word he was saying, I just said, that's what writing is. That's what I want to do, you know. Mm. It is. It is hard, I think, to find... Um, you know, once you get that bug, that bite, you know, you're just really hooked on it and you can't really let that idea go, really exploring the nuances of that language and consequently our own, which has its roots there and is still very different. And I'm sure as you do this, you know, you must be learning every day something linguistically new along as part of your process. I uh, write something new every day. When you rise, I'm sure you're learning too. Like you're not learning only craft, but there's also stuff that you're picking up from the exploration of the language alone. That's it, you know, that's enriching your work continuously. Yeah. That's uh, that's exactly it. Yes, uh, um, uh, a combination of research into literature and uh, trying to find the best word for things is just absolutely a constant in in my work and my struggle to express myself. And, yeah. you know, if you look up these words, these these words that look obscure at first, if you look them up in the dictionary or you find them somewhere, you do the research to find them, you'll find that they fit perfectly in with the poem. And that's that's one thing I absolutely try to do is make sure everything fits exactly properly uh, with the tone of the poem and, and perfectly expresses what the poem's trying to express. And to me, the words express exactly what the poem wants to express. Now, you've been doing uh, more reading at, at um, you know, live events lately, haven't you? 
I've been doing open mic nights, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been trying to do open mic nights, but my work has been preventing me, which is another reason I've been I've uh, sent in my two weeks. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully I'll be able to get in more open mic nights in the future. <laughs> how, do you, how does that experience, uh, how does that go? Tell me a little bit about what that does for your writing as well as um, for your confidence and the rest of that. Because, you know, I think for a lot of people that, the first few times they do that is hard, and then after that it gets easier, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you get stage fright. I had stage fright at first, and I performed mm. music, and uh, performing music got rid of that. But uh, in terms of writing uh, and the process, sometimes you do find that you need to edit the poem a little bit when you after you've read it to people, or if you just, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just have... A, a first draft of a poem, and you're re- you're really excited about it, and you go and read it in front of people. That sometimes can be your guide to editing, to help you edit it properly and uh, figure out what you need to change and stuff like that. But my experience with the uh, performing open that Mike nights has been 100% good. It seems like I make a new fan every time I go out to read at open mic nights. There's always somebody who comes up and talks to me and says, hey, I really like your work, and I go, wow, that's cool. I'm I'm really glad, you know. That's absolutely what I go for when I write, you know. I write for an audience, not for myself, so mm. it's important to me. Do you ha- Are you part of any um, writer's group, so a, a critique group or a workshop group or an informal group? I've been part of... Uh, class workshops for college or specifically a poetry workshop for college but I've never I haven't workshopped again since then uh, not, you miss not it, that, you that says anything about workshops or anything I just haven't had the <laughs> I suppose I just haven't had the time mm-hmm. or maybe uh, think- maybe not the funds too because I think it costs some, some cash so <laughs> Some, you know, some work different ways, and I think, you know, the, some of the informal ones are totally, you know, commit commit no money, it's just time, and then others are more formal structured, and they're, you know, more of an instructional component to those, but I think um, it's one of those things, some areas, too, have greater or fewer opportunities in, in that arena, you know, so sometimes you find yourself far away from a group that would be awesome or um, and I think, you know, people can do this online these days, too. There's a lot of online groups. So, you know, if anyone is looking for that kind of thing, you know, go online and Google some stuff. You can definitely find some workshops or collectives to be part of that help if that's an experience you're looking for. I, I find that those things are very helpful, but it's hard to find the time to commit sometimes. And, you know, I think you you know that feeling, you know, Benjamin. Well, I I like them plenty enough, but uh, I definitely have found that I'm my own harshest critic. I definitely uh, find I've I've found uh, since being part of a workshop, I found that uh, I'm usually the biggest uh, component in in um, in editing and and finding the w- the will to edit because I've, I'm such a sort of perfectionist almost. Sometimes yeah. I think like I have uh, delusions of grandeur and I think like I've, I've somehow convinced myself that a poem can be perfect and so I, I keep trying to reach that perfection 
even though well, how, I, how I guess many drafts, I should know it's impossible. How many drafts of that first manuscript have you sent me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's been a uh, lot. Uh, what's become Telos and other psychographs has gone through <laughs> huge changes, just absolutely huge. It has. <laughs> we've, I and think numerous. we've talked about that before, yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I, every time I think, um, oh, this is going to be the final shape, I, I always think, maybe, well, maybe it's not, though. <laughs> so we'll see, yeah, we'll see what know, that I always, actually looks like in the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, usually I end up slotting in a few more references or something like that. And mm-hmm, every time mm-hmm. it's a small change, I try not to send it to you because I, do, I don't want to get too <laughs> exciting because I know I'll make more of those. But if it's a big change, like I change a whole poem, then I'm right. like, oh, I gotta send this to Anne Marie, show her right. the new, uh, the new lineup, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think there's been a time yet where you sent it and I thought, oh no, that doesn't improve it, like you know. So, so I don't mind you doing that and taking the time to send it, you know, to do that as many times as you need because I really think you've been on the mark. So I think we're okay with that. Now I would like to move oh, to the third you. poem if you're ready to do that. Uh, yes, I'm I'm ready. Uh, so this third poem is going to be from Early Harvest, actually. It's called Excellent. Hanging Garden Flower, and it has a um, it has a nice little uh, epigram to it. It says, Ah, he is not a common man who turns to a flowerless tree, and that's by a poet named Onitsura. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, so uh, starting here. Many leaves reside within her garden, many leaves indeed, many. Across the breeze, the gray river, golden bridge, and ladies' laughing fancies. Many leaves, many slender, many, all possessed of a smothered envy. Sweet, but for the flower, with its boisterous oranges, yellows, and indigos, the the blossom standing neatly in the sun, Who would blame the keeper for a peak while on the run? A cricket lands gently upon his fishing line. Now the blue moon watches soundly. No white-capped mountains shift restlessly behind. A glimpse will catch, most assuredly, the willows sing what the wind ordains, while the pond's low notes support in harmony. Her fringes sway askance within the wind. A late afternoon nap tucked between the folds. The blue plums taste so good this evening. The color of your eyes tantalized. I am mesmerized. What if the moon saw your face, knowing the distance wide between your beautiful smile, between your beautiful name? The swirling eddies only enhance the aura at once. And once again, once I saw you again, once. Apricot bows and ferns seem as nothing, but now cloudy skies are ever wanting. I could sit here and think and want the more. I that was once so dandy and sprightly lie jealous of the folds and forays of my lady's hanging garden flower. That's that. And that's just a little something to get you all ready for the first release by Benjamin Hobbs, which is now not I we're gonna go with your pseudonym, your nom de plume. And why don't you talk a little bit about that as we are ready to head out the door here? Okay. Uh my nom de plume is Euphrates Moss. I named myself uh Greek because I love Greek 
And, uh, you know, it's the longest river in the world. I imagine it feeds a lot of people, and I hope my poetry feeds a lot of people. Uh, the middle name is Arnot. That's uh, then Arnot Daniel. My middle name is actually Daniel, so I decided, like, Arnot, you know, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it's <laughs> profitable. And then the last name is Moss, which is actually my grandfather's uh, name. It's my mom's maiden name. And uh, it means something to me. It means uh, means a little something more to me than Hobbs. Hobbs, I think, is a, a Scottish name, and uh, I don't th- I don't suspect I have any Scottish in me. Uh, but <laughs> Moss, I definitely have at least half Welsh, so uh, that I can you know take pride in and and have uh, have something that connects to that a little better. You know, and while I wouldn't characterize your work as naturalist in any sense, I would say, though, that the natural environment does play a role in what you create, and I think that's a nice connecting point to the name as well, both from the river and the moss. You know, I think that those two things kind of solidly anchor in some of your imagery and some of your concrete details. Exactly, yeah. Moss is a... Is a <laughs> It's something that grows on rocks, of course, but it is uh, it is also, I think, a, a deep connection point to my roots uh, in mm-hmm. Wales, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's important to have the the nature aspect of it too, because I think uh, you know nature is so important that they have an entire poet poetry form after it. The, the haiku right. is uh, based right. entirely on nature, so. <clears throat> Um, so you know what we're we're as usual out of time, and so okay. um, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Have a happy and Thanksgiving, w- you too. I would like you to uh, report back to us how that goes on Facebook later, because um, you know everyone's Thanksgiving stories I find greatly inspirational. <laughs> There's always I'll some. be updating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> It'll be great to be with family again. Help your mother with the cooking and um, and enjoy your day with your family. Thanks. You too. And thank you all for, for taking time out of your day, whatever day you choose to be listening to this, because it will be on demand and available at your convenience um, just as soon as we post it here. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today on this uh, November 28th Thanksgiving afternoon, morning, whatever part of the country you're all in. I think it's two different times of day for Benjamin and myself. Um, I'm going to go get that turkey out of the oven soon and uh, figure out how I can do all that in a reasonably close timeline. That's always a big challenge for me. Um, Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening and tune in again next time. Bye-bye. Bye.